Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. As always, I am joined by an All Kinds of Weather founder and lead writer, Neil Schulman, and you can follow him at All Kinds Weather. And of course, you can follow our podcast Twitter handle as well, which is IAKOW Forecast. So, Neil, we've got another game to talk about. This time, the Gators will travel the short journey to Tampa Bay to battle with South Florida. But before we get to our discussion, Neil, how you doing? Seems like I, mean, I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, it's been all of about 24 hours. Um, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm gearing up for, uh, for Rosh Hashanah dinner, which is the Jewish New Year. Um, I, I, I'm not super observant, but it is one of the big holidays in Judaism. So I, I, try, to, I, I try to follow my Jewish heritage a little bit um, with, with celebrating the big ones. So, yeah, I got that to look forward to. Um, got some apples and honey, which is the traditional Jewish cuisine around this time of year look forward to um and we got a new season of gator football to start talking about too which is a nice little dovetailing there between the new year and the jewish calendar and the new year gator football uh should be fun man i'm looking forward to the discussion today because i know gator fans are i don't want to say torn but they are definitely not shy about sharing their opinions on different subjects and when you have something as potentially you know divisive as the qb situation that we've got right now between emory jones and anthony richardson again i don't want to use the word torn but it it makes for some interesting discussions so neil i know you've had the opportunity to kind of sit down and and uh, go through the game another time um any more observations from the fau game before we dive into discussion about south florida yeah, I think I've watched the tape of the FAU game enough times to like forever. I can I can just put that game out of mind and never think about it again. Uh, the the one thing I will say, I, I watched the tape three times. I, I watched the game itself live, obviously reacted to it in live time. Watched it a second time uh, early Sunday morning. Watched it a third time uh, like Monday around lunchtime, and the last the last time I watched it, I kind of got the sense that Emory wasn't so much like jittery or nervous throughout the game as much as he was uncomfortable in certain reps and certain snaps. Like when he runs the ball, there are, there are zero nerves. There are absolutely zero jitters going through him because that's what he does best. He knows how to run the ball. And he did that very well. And on some of his throws, granted like swings and screen passes, but some of his shorter throws, he threw the ball with some authority. Like he looked at his receiver longer than I would have liked him to, but he threw the ball like a quarterback in division one would throw a quarter, would throw a swing or a slant route. So, you know, granted still lots of room to go. The two interceptions were really bad. He probably should have been, you know, recorded as having thrown three because there was a ball that was dropped. They should have gone back for six. So, I mean, that could have completely changed the complexion of the game, but yeah, I mean, watching the game for the last time, and I'm, it is definitely the last time I'm watching that game. That, that was, yeah, no, that, that was not very aesthetically pleasing. But from watching it the last time, I think I am a little less leery of Emory Jones than I was after watching it twice. Yeah, Neil. So before 
like I said before getting in discussing the USF preview, I just want to ask you a question, and I and I'll I'll definitely chime in as well. But Neil, how do you expect the? Well, first off, let me say this: we know that Embry is going to be the starting quarterback on Saturday versus South Florida. But how do you expect Embry and Anthony to split reps on Saturday? I mean, I think it's very clear, like you said, that Emery is QB1. He's going to be the starter. And I think something cataclysmic has to happen for that not to be the case. I think he'll have to throw multiple interceptions or just plain drop the ball or or make a bunch of bad reads in a row for him to get benched. Now, there's a distinction between him getting legit benched and Anthony Richardson coming in for a drive or two because that's what Mullen likes to do. I mean, we saw that all the way back in 2018 when Felipe Franks was the QB and he worked Emery into four games to preserve that red shirt. And then in 2019, with Kyle Trask entrenched as the starter, ran Emery out in some situations and let him run some packages. So AR is going to get snaps regardless but let's let's talk about two scenarios one if emory lights it up or at least looks competent if emory jones looks like a real sec quarterback against usf i think he gets about 70 percent of the snaps before the game gets ridiculous like once the game gets out of hand then this percentage goes out the window because that's the time to let ar do his thing. But while the game is competitive, I expect Emory to get 70% of the snaps about um, maybe 75, 25. If you just want a, a cleaner ratio, um, which is three to one. So I, I think if he struggles significantly in his first couple of series, I think that after the third series or so, he'll put AR in as he was probably going to do, but then he'll let him stay in for a longer period of time. Whereas if, if Jones looks really good in his first three drives or four drives or so, he might let AR come in and take a drive and then, you know, sit him down after that one drive. But if he struggles, it might be AR comes in and gets like four or five drives to show what he can do. So we'll see how the first few drives go for Emery, but I think that's kind of what the game plan is going to be. Yeah, Neil. So I know that obviously Emery's the starting quarterback is going to be the guy to come out and play, but do you think this is more of a quarterback 1A and quarterback 1B situation? Not necessarily. I, I think, again, I think it's a thing of, is that FAU game just one game? Like Mullen was very clear when uh, Cole Kubelik asked him after the game about the quarterback controversy, who he likes, or, or what, is, what, do you, what he thinks about the potential quarterback controversy, who the QB1 is going to be. He's like, well, what's happening? Emory's a quarterback. Like, you know, he stuttered, he stammered a few times. He's like, what, what do you mean? Emory's a quarterback. Like, he was insulted by the very question about Emory Jones maybe not being the QB. Um, I think, again, it's the matter of it being one game. Like, Mullen is not at a point right now where he has no choice but to make a switch. If, it, you know, in 2018, if – Felipe Franks or if Kyle Trask had not broken his foot, he was going to win that job and he wouldn't have had a choice, but to put him in the game and and the rest of the 2018 season, because he broke his foot. It was Felipe, but I don't think Mullen is the kind of guy to make personnel changes unless there's absolutely positively no other choice. I don't think we're at that point yet. So we'll see, but I don't think it's QB one and one a, I think he knows 
Emery is the guy right now because he has been his guy in his mind since he went on the road and flipped him from Ohio State. And you and I, among others, are very critical of Dan Mullen's recruiting ability. For him to have won a battle against the mighty Ohio State Buckeyes, he's going to do everything he can to make sure that that guy is, you know, provides some usage for him. Oh, so yeah. Until, until, further, until further notice, no, I don't. Yeah, well, I know off-air you and I were having a discussion, and we made the, the comment that either Dan Mullen is a complete idiot or he knows exactly what he's doing. And I tend to think the guy that's making an excess of $7 million a year, I tend to think he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, we're talking about the guy that, that uh, you know, pulled uh, Dak Prescott from the ashes. I mean, a guy that, that uh, I don't think Dak was really recruited to play Division One except for, except for Mississippi State. And look at what he did with Dak. Look at what he did with Kyle, with Kyle Trask. So I trust Dan Mullen. We, we reserve the right to change our minds in the coming weeks. I know we have a couple big games. Uh, to speak about. Um, <laughs> we're not really going to talk about it in this pod because we're here to talk about South Florida. So speaking of which, Neil, I know you've spent at least a few minutes, <laughs> joking of course, uh, looking at South Florida. So they played pretty bad, to say the least, in their game against NC State. And they lost to the tune of 45 to nothing. Yes. USF didn't score a single point against an NC State team that, no, NC State isn't necessarily in the bottom echelon of college football, but they're definitely not a top 25 team. They're not a team that anybody's putting on their, their short list to give Clemson a run for their money in the ACC. So, Neil, what are your thoughts on USF? Anything stand out in particular? I mean, I looked – the first thing I did was I looked at the box score, and that, that's always the first thing I do when looking at an opponent. I look at the box score because that's going to give me an idea of what to expect when I watch the game tape. I mean, it, it's always box score first, then the game tape for me. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you do it, but that's, that's just my personal way of that's, – that's just my personal preference. I look at the box score – and Kate Fortin is seven for 20 for 41 yards. That's it. He throws 20 passes. He doesn't, he barely completes a third of them. And for 41 yards, with, with, with a pick, by the way, one of those 13 incompletions was, was picked off. I mean, yeah. dude, 41 yards on 20 passes? And, you know, I watched the tape after that, and it was worse. The, the tape was worse than 7 for 20 for 41 yards would indicate. He, he did not look like the guy that I – I mean, I kept tabs on him coming out of high school. He had, he had some big offers. I mean, he had offers from Iowa, from K-State. Uh, Oklahoma State offered him. I eventually signed with North Carolina. West Virginia offered him. Virginia Tech, I think, offered him. It's not like this is a Kyle Trask situation where, you know, nobody wanted him out of high school. No, he had offers from Division I FBS Power 5 schools, 
And against NC State, he goes 7 for 20 for 41 yards and looks worse than that stat line would indicate. We, we want to talk about how Emory Jones locked on the receivers. Kate Fortin locked on the receivers worse than, than Emory Jones did. Um, and to boot, they don't have a ground game. Now, in defense of Cade Fortin, his offensive line was abysmal. But for Florida, that only makes us feel even better about our chances. Like they, I think they had eight different guys touch the ball uh, for, I think, 32 carries or so. I'm, I'm going to pull it up now so I'm not just spitballing. I, I think it was 32 carries for 104 yards. I'm pulling it up right now so I don't just, you know, guess. Okay. Yeah. Box score 32 carries. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys. Jaron Mangum, Kate Fortin, the quarterback, Darian Felix, Kerry, Kelly Joyner, Timmy McLean, Brian Battle, Omarion Dollison, Jimmy Horn Jr. Eight different guys carried the ball, 104 yards. They had two guys throw the ball, and Timmy McLean and Cade Fortin, that they wound up pulling Fortin because he was so bad. And McLean didn't do a whole lot better. He completed seven of 13 passes for 126 yards, which is better than 41 yards, but he also threw three, uh, he also threw two interceptions, both of which were bad because he telegraphed exactly where they were going to go and didn't even bother to try to look the safety off and just threw them right to the same spot he was staring at from the time he took the snap. So, I mean, I know I know Florida's got issues on defense. I, I was the first to criticize them for giving up the garbage time yards against FAU because that's still FAU. But if, if we can't shut down this team, oh, boy. Alabama's going to put 70 on us if, if we can't shut down USF. Because th- yeah, this, this is, is a bad th- team. This is the worst offense we're going to face. I don't know about Sanford. I shouldn't say that. I don't know about Sanford. It's it's harder to scout them because uh, they're in the FCS and their games aren't on TV. But this is the worst team in the FBS that Florida will play all year. Worse than Vanderbilt. No doubt. No doubt. What? Look, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt lost their their week one game. I think Vanderbilt would beat South Florida by three touchdowns. Yeah. ETSU beat Vandy twenty three to three. Yeah. Vandy, we know Vandy is technically in the SEC. We don't think of them as an SEC school because they don't recruit from the same pool of talent that Florida and Georgia and Alabama and so on recruit from. Uh, Vanderbilt would beat South Florida. Like, th- like this South yeah. Florida team is bad. And I understand. Bad. And listen, like I get that that's exactly the kind of mindset that leads to a cataclysmic, you know, earth-shattering upset like Appalachian State over Michigan, but – I'm watching the tape. I, we we could just take them off. Like the offensive line is bad. They they're, they're a sieve. The receivers don't create any separation. Uh, actually, that's not true. Xavier Weaver creates some separation. That's the one guy that looked good on tape against NC State. He, I think he was the one that caught two passes for 73 yards. Um, Mitchell Brinkman is is decent, but. I mean, Florida should be able to stop him with, with the, the five-star talent they have back there. I mean, just go down the list of things. Like, go position by position. Look at the most important traits. Like, all right, quarterback. Can their quarterback throw? Kind of. No. Is he a good QB? Not really. No. Running backs, do they have vision? No, they don't. Well, Because the offensive line is a block for them, too. So, I, I mean, it, it, there are just so many things to, to list about them. I don't know. I mean, well, I'll turn it around and I'll ask you. Have you seen anything from them when you did your scouting on them that made you think that Florida's in any trouble whatsoever? 
No. I mean, I mean, you have um, Weaver, a wide receiver that, that had a 44-yard reception. Um, it didn't go all the way for a touchdown because obviously they didn't score, but I was, I was pretty impressed with Weaver. Um, McLean in, in, uh, in obviously an abbreviated amount of reps because he did, he did come in after the game was well in hand on the, the NC State side, but McLean um, played okay to, to pretty good at quarterback. I mean, he did throw for 126 yards. Um, you know, much of that was aided by the, the, um, the reception by Weaver. But this is not a good team. Defensively, they're, they're just – across the board, they're just not good. I mean, I mean you had Mims, who is uh, – I, I needed to click and look it up, and Mims is, a line, is, is their, their linebacker. Um, he had, did have 14 tackles. Um, Andrew Mims, solo. right? You're talking about Andrew Mims. He's pretty good. Andrew Mims, yeah. Yeah. He was okay. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be – I mean, we'll get to it at the end with our prediction, but this is not a team that I'm really worried about. So since we, we are kind of carrying the narrative, you and I, Neil, that this is a game that is more about what Florida does – and if something cataclysmic was to happen, if Florida was to somehow uh, keep it close or if the unthinkable was to happen, it'd, it'd likely be because of mistakes that Florida's making and not necessarily anything that, that, that South Florida's bringing to the table. So, Neil, I, I mean, I want to I ask you about the offense for Florida. Um, what do you – I know we, we saw quite a bit with this Florida offense um, versus – uh, Ford Atlantic, we obviously saw the explosive uh, run capability from Anthony Richardson, um, a guy that, that I talked about a little bit in the previous podcast. We looked at, uh, at Malik Davis, a guy that that's, uh, looks like he's back to his, his 2017 form. He's explosive. He's, he's got great um, ball skill, uh, the way that he attacks the edges. Um, I was super impressed by Malik Davis, and so we should see a lot of him. One thing we didn't see is we really didn't see a, a good pass game. I mean, we, we've talked about the quarterback situation at nauseum, but obviously, Neil, you know, I want to see the Gators pass the ball better. I want not, not only from a quarterback uh, standpoint, but from a receiver standpoint, I want to see Copeland uh, get more touches. I want to see Xavier Henderson get more t- touches. We saw what, what Xavier did with the punt return. Imagine getting him the ball in, in open space um, by just a standard pass. You know, put him on a post, put him on a on a crossing route, put him put him on a corner. Hey, to uh, you know, cause PTSD for for any any Georgia fan that might peruse and click on this podcast. But man, put out a wheel route, man. Get get these guys in space. I would I want to see us do some more in the pass game. You know, I mean, there's no reason why we. Or, or run for another 400 yards against uh, South Florida, but why not throw for 300? Why not make this uh, a 700-yard bomb like we like we did uh, um, at least once last year? I mean, let's do it. Um, so, so Neil, uh, I know I share what I want to see from the offense, but what do you want to see from the offense? Root running. Very, very simple. Root running. I mean, we, we saw the offensive line block well in the running game for the first time since 2018, I think. Um, I mean that that was a very good offensive line, by the way. With I mean that that was that was some must champ recruited guys like with Tyler Jordan and Martez Ivy, so they were just naturally 
just built to be machines in terms of clearing people out. But yeah, that was the most rushing yards that Florida's had in the game under Dan Mullen. We checked that box off. The receiving, nah, no, we did not see the, the root running that we've seen in years past. And I understand that Florida just lost everything for the second consecutive year, but it's not like we have a bunch of noobs. Like Jacob Copeland's been here since 2019. He balled out against the Gamecocks in 2019. He almost single-handedly won us that game. Um, I mean, guys like Justin Shorter, former five-star, he did it in spots last year. We know he can do it. We've seen him do it before. Do it again. Do it consistently. Make it a lifestyle of yours to get open against cornerbacks that are not as big and are not as fast as you by putting your foot in the ground, exploding off of that plant foot, and creating some separation. Do it. We know you can. And the tight ends, like Kimari Gamble, when you're on the field, man, you're you're an athlete that isn't possible to be covered by the types of athletes that are on the other side of the field for FAU and USF. And that goes for Keon Zipper. That goes for Jonathan Odom, Nick Elksness, whatever. Florida's tight end room should be creating separation with or without Kyle Pitts. So root running is number one, two, three, four, and 27. I want to see receivers create separation against cornerbacks that are not as naturally talented as them, because if they can't get separation against South Florida, we're screwed because Alabama then is going to know we have only one way to move the ball up and down the field. That's by running it. They're going to load the box. They're going to put a spy on Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson, and we're going to finish the game with 85 total yards of offense. So root running, root running, root running, root running, root running. Yeah, Neil. So let's, uh, I mean, I, let me just say this. I, I agree a thousand percent with you, if that's even possible. We, I, I want to see our receivers step up. Root running is so important, but on top of that, um, I want to see what we do in space. I know that, I know that uh, at times we saw plays set up, but then we saw our guys uh, not make catches. So on top of root running, we got to catch the ball. If, if the ball is anywhere close to where it needs to be in order to be caught, you got to catch it. You got to catch it. Okay. A, a lot was made about, about Whitmore last year and, and some of the great catches that he made before he got hurt. And, and then we fast forward to the game against FAU and he had a major drop that I think that if he would have caught that, he would have been gone for, for maybe 10 or 15 yards if he would have had the opportunity to make a play on that. But he did it. He dropped the ball, and, and uh, the rest is history. So, obviously, we want to see the pass game improve. Um, it's hard to improve in, in the run game, but I will say this. You're not always going to be able to get 160 yards plus 74 yards from your, your quarterback. You're going to have to run the ball in terms of the running backs. And there was, there was times where um, – you know, we'd run the zone read, and instead of keeping the ball, Emory Jones or, or Anthony would give the ball up. Um, I want to see our quarterbacks make great decisions in the run game. Um, obviously, if the, if the zone is open and, and, and you can give the ball up to your running back to make a play, do it. But if the read's not there, don't force something that's not there. Uh, take what the defense is giving you and make big plays. And that's exactly what I expect to see. Um, and obviously, we saw Anthony make big plays. I expect 
I expect Embry to make big plays too. We know we can do it. We've seen him do it, and it should be the expectation. So, Neil, I know your boy, Zach Carter, had himself a game. I mean, we're only one game into the season, and he's already just 11 sacks away from being the all-time sack leader in a single season at the University of Florida. I know it's weird for me to say that, but as we discussed in a previous pod, I mean, on average, I mean, he would literally only need one sack a game to break that record. So, Neil, um, obviously we saw a big night from Zach Carter. We saw another big night from from, uh, Gervon Dexter, who who, – Recovered two fumbles, and obviously, you know if this if this turn or burn, as I like to say, defense is to be successful, then we got to be forcing turnovers. We got to be getting strip sacks. Um, we didn't see any interceptions in the game, but I fully expect if the Gators are going to prove themselves defensively, I want to see us get some interceptions. We got to get at least two. Um, if we don't pick the ball off at least twice against South Florida. I'm going to be very concerned with the Gators moving forward the rest of the season to make big plays in the secondary because, you know, we know what Kyer Elam can do, but I want to see a, 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 a Jason Marshall uh, get a pick. I want to see a Trey Dean get a pick. You know, if it's, if it's thrown down, down the middle, you know, I look at a guy like, uh, like Diabate, a guy that not only can make sacks, but I would love to see him catch the ball. I mean, this is all dependent on the on on the idea that USF's going to throw the ball forty times. If they're if they're just going to try to run the run the game out to you know do the Lane Kiffin trick in two thousand nine and just try to get out of there as quickly as possible without an embarrassing score, which which they might do after what happened against NC State, knowing that Florida is significantly more talented than NC State that goes out the window, but right. if they're going to throw the ball 30, 35 times, then sure. But yeah, I mean, I do, I do just like to caution um, some people about, you know, interception stats, because if you have like, if cornerback number one has 17 picks in a year and cornerback two has three picks in the same year, but got targeted about a fifth as many times as the other guy did. Well, then the one guy with 17 picks isn't necessarily the better cornerback because that means that the other, the other QB doesn't want to try his luck and test him and throw at him. Right. So that that's definitely conditional on the number of times that USF or any other team for that matter is going to th- try to throw the ball in Florida. But if, if we face a team like Alabama and they try to test us too many times, then absolutely. I, I would love to see an interception here and there. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, based on the box score, South Florida was pretty balanced. They threw the ball 33 times, and they ran the ball 32 times. Albeit, it was a game where NC State had in the bag uh, from the get-go. I mean, I don't think there was any point uh, except for maybe the first four minutes in the game where the game was even in contest. Um, So, Neil, um, do you, is there anything else you want to see from this defense on Saturday uh, that you didn't see against Florida Atlantic? Yeah, just don't give up too many big plays. Uh, I mean, the, the defense didn't really against uh, FAU. They gave up a couple chunk plays towards the end of the game, and and I do I I do get a little bit bothered by that. 
I know I'm well aware that it was our backups in, but that's still Florida Atlantic. So I, I just, am I freaking out about it? No, I would just prefer not to see it. And, and that's going to go for South Florida too. If it happens against their starters with our starters in there, then it's a major cause for concern. If it happens in the fourth quarter with backups in, I'll just like roll my eyes because it's possible that those guys are going to get playing time because we've already seen two guys in the secondary in Jadon Hill and Kamar Wilcoxon get hurt and not get in the games when they were expected to. And thus guys beneath them on the depth chart getting in, in meaningful situations. So yeah, they may be backups, but in the snap of a finger with one bad step, there could be God forbid someone tearing an ACL, someone breaking a bone in their foot. I mean, it sucks to think about, but it happens in football. So I'd like to see the backups just be sound throughout the game when they get their chances to play. Uh, I'm not expecting anyone to be a superhero. I'm not asking for, you know, Jason Marshall to record a hundred yard pick six, but I just like them to do their assignments, not get caught out of position, make tackles, take the right angles. Don't go for the highlight reel hit. Just make the sure tackle, et cetera. Just be fundamentally sound, do your jobs and don't get roasted for a 65 yard gain. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really all I'm looking for. Cause South Florida is not a team that's going to really be likely to expose any real weaknesses on Florida. So yeah, just, just, just do what you're supposed to do. And this is, uh, well, we're, we're, we're going to get to that, you know, prediction part in a few seconds here, but just do what you're supposed to do. And this is a 30 point win. Let's, uh, let's get right onto the verdict. So the, the first segment of the verdict is, is keys to the game. Um, and I want to throw in an, an extra part to this. Um, give me one key to the game and also give me one player that you want to see step up. I mean, the player to watch for is pretty obvious, no? Uh, Emery Jones. So I'm going to go away from him because that's the one that everyone expects to hear uh, because that's like, duh, no, no fooling. That's the player to watch. So I'm going to go away from him, and I am going to say Justin Shorter. Every QB needs a blanket, a security blanket. And Justin Shorter is the guy that had the five-star rating coming out of high school, went to Penn State, had a bunch of offers there, has shown himself to be a five-star quality receiver in spots in 2020. That, that beautiful catch that you got an amazing photo of against Arkansas – going up, climbing the ladder, getting that foot down. He's shown himself to be an elite wide receiver or at least have elite wide receiver potential. Let's see if he can live up to that hype and be that guy that Emery can rely on in the passing game. I guess that also goes for Jacob Copeland, but we know Copeland can do it a little bit more because we've seen him do it a little bit more, but I would like to see him step up as well. So I'll, I just gave two, but if I had to pick one, I'd say uh, shorter. So key to the game is going to be right along that same theme. Get open receivers, get open. Cause that was the one that was the real, the biggest issue that I saw against FAU even bigger than some of the mistakes that Emory Jones made, because if his receivers are getting open, then maybe some of the bad decisions that Emory Jones is making don't happen. Maybe he doesn't feel he needs to lock onto a receiver if he feels that there's a possibility that some of his teammates are going to do their job and get open because that didn't happen against FAU. There just, there wasn't any separation. So the receivers, I mean, 
it's it's four and five star wide receivers going up against one or two star in some cases I guess three star cornerbacks and safeties for South Florida there's no excuse like where where there was no excuse for not getting open against FAU there's less of an excuse to not get open against South Florida so get open create separation that's going to give Emery some confidence when he sees receivers wide open. All he's got to do is complete a couple of them. And yeah, the bad decisions will, will keep happening because they happen for every QB. That's just called a growing pain. But his receivers getting open, I think, will go a long way to fixing a lot of the issues we saw with him against FAU. So, I mean, there's there's no other – I guess don't turn the ball over because that's, that's the great equalizer in any game. Like, that's how – I'm look. I'm not one of those guys that says, "Yeah, Alabama could beat an NFL team, or like uh, the greatest high school team could beat like FSU." But if such an upset was going to happen, the only path for it to happen is a plus seven turnover ratio. So don't do that. Like, let's not snap the ball over our QB's head. Let's just protect the ball when we're carrying it. Let's not deflect balls high in the air for interceptions. And I'll just control the ball, hold on to the ball. And I mean, this is, this is the blowout. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with you. I think the only way that South Florida even has a shot at this game is if Florida just can't seem to throw the ball. Um, I know that South Florida is going to at least attempt to stop the run. I doubt they'll be successful, but it's likely going to be their, their defensive game plan. So we are going to have to throw the ball. We're, 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 not gonna, we're not going to have a super successful game by just running the ball. So a, a player that I really want to see step up, and, and, and the way I'm going to interpret this is I'm not just going to pick, okay, you know, who do we need to see play better? But I want to see, a, I want to see Gamble step up. I think Kamor Gamble, he, he needs to – I mean, I love the block that he made um, against – Florida Atlantic to spring open the the seventy three yard touchdown run for Anthony Richardson, um, so definitely giving him a helmet sticker for that particular play. But I want to see him. I want to see him be a be more of a a threat in the pass game. I mean, I mean he has he's he's looked pretty good uh, in in it is in his playing time that he that he was in last year. I mean, I, I want to see him catch the ball. I want to see him. I want to see him in space. Uh, I, I think he could be a mismatch nightmare. I mean, I mean, we're not going to try to compare him to Kyle Pitts, but you heard Ben Troop say it if you if you listen to that podcast. Uh, Gamble said he wanted he, he's the best tight end in the country. Well, obviously through one game we didn't see that. Yeah, I made a good block, but I want to see him catch the ball. I want to see him make a big play in the pass game. As far as the key to the game, I mean, I think you hit it right in the nose. I think you hit it right in the nose with turnovers. And, again, the mindset with, with how we grade and how we look at uh, the verdict with, with um, non-SEC games or non, you know, obviously this isn't Alabama or Georgia or LSU or, or Kentucky. Like these, these aren't the upper echelon of, of, of college football. We, we want to we see a, a team that is getting better every week. And – the key to the game, yes, but even more so, the key to being better all around the rest of the season is we really have to see better decision-making from the quarterbacks. Both Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones left a lot to be desired from in terms of making 
good decisions, especially with the pass game. You know, when it comes to the the post game, you know, I don't care to hear Mullen talk about all the yards they threw for, all the yards they, they ran for. The one thing I want to hear Dan Mullen say is that these two quarterbacks made better decisions throwing the ball. I don't want to hear about easy reads that they missed. That's simply not acceptable. I mean, we said it in, in the previous pod uh, in looking at FAU, but when Bryce Young came in to, in his first start for Alabama, he, he was making great reads. He was throwing the ball all over the yard, made some incredible plays, okay? I, I mean, Bryce Young's good, but I should have the same expectation for a guy that's been in the program three years like Emory Jones. I don't think that's, that's too difficult to ask for. So that's going to be my key to the game. Neil, I know that we love numbers, and there's no number that we love more than the scoreboard or, or group of numbers, I should say. So I know we had an incredible and epic uh, preseason pod where we picked every game um, and we gave a score for every game. But I have to ask you, do you have a score prediction for this game and, and did it change? First of all, prior? first of all, let me, let, let me, uh, let me just toot my own horn for a second. I, I had to eat some crow on the last episode of the show. I was very dismissive and derisive of Casey's pick that LSU was going to lose to UCLA. So that, that wasn't fun, but here's, here's my turn to get some of that cred back. I predicted Florida to beat FAU 38 to 14. What was the final score? 35-14. Had Dan Mullen decided to just be a douchebag and kick a field goal in the last 30 seconds of the game, which he could have very well done. We saw Urban Meyer do it against Miami in 2008. If he just wanted to be a douche, that final score is 38-14. So, or, or an even more likely scenario, if we would have kicked the field goal fourth and four at the goal yeah, line instead that's of – true. We could have. I mean, it would have been a very easy one. It would have given, it would have given um, one of our kickers confidence going into the next week. I mean, I, I mean, I, could, I really, yeah. I was really hoping to see a kick from one of our kickers. Yeah. Um, um, but you, know, yeah, you want to so, talk about a, a system where we sort of have a two kicker system right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I that sounded so conceited. By the way, Jesus. Um, I yeah. I, I promise. Yeah, no, I love to expect that from you, Neil. I'm not. I, I swear, I'm not actually that arrogant. I just I come off like it no, sometimes. no. Um, but Neil, you are brilliant. So no, I'm not. I just, I just, I just like to look at a lot of numbers in game tape. Yes, I think. I mean, there is looks, a reason why people follow your content on Twitter. There's a reason why people check out your website. There's a reason why people are are listening to the pod right now. Um, I think it may be in part to how goofy and entertaining we are, but I think a lot of it has to do with your brilliance. So yeah, man, this is the time of year for me to be like repentative, repentative uh, and humble. You know, the Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur. (laughs) Yeah, this is the time for me to like sit back and like reflect on all the things I do wrong. And this is, I, I, I'm, I swear, this is not actually how I am. I'm just coming off like a super douche right now. But (laughs) all right, the point, the point being that that I'm trying to get to is that I, I had a feeling about that FAU game that Florida was not going to look very good offensively. They kind of did. Um, they gave up a couple touchdowns late, which I thought was, was possible. Um, but 
I have a similar feeling against USF that Florida is going to look significantly better. So my, my, my feelings are one for one so far. Let's see if I go two for two here. I think Emory is going to look a lot better. He won't look like the Heisman candidate that uh, you know you and other people, just not just you, picked him to be this year. Um, there's definitely still going to be some growth that he's got to undergo. I think he's going to leave some to be desired, but he's going to look a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable in a weird environment that's technically not at home, but it's probably at worst going to be 50-50, probably more Florida fans than not Florida fans there. Um, so not not really a true road game. But I, I, I'm going to go with my feeling again here, and I'm going to say Florida looks significantly better. They'll probably slack off in the last quarter or so. Uh, they'll let USF get some garbage time points, but I, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling 42, 17 Florida. Yeah, Neil. I, I think Florida's going to absolutely destroy USF. I mean, I look at USF up there in the same caliber as Samford at this point. Um, I know in the pregame pod, I picked Florida to beat Samford 70 to nothing. Um, of course, this is the USF pod. So I'm going to say uh, Florida 62 USF seven. It ain't even going to be close. I'm sorry. Say that again. Florida 62, USF 7. You realize we barely got half that many points against FAU, right? And I, yeah. I, I, I know I just said Florida's going to look better, but you're expecting Florida to just about double its point production. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll, okay. you'll see Saturday night. <laughs> that, would mean, that would mean a complete 180 for Emory Jones and probably a little bit of, of shameless score padding too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean a complete 180, but I, I mean, we, we left at least three touchdowns off the board in the game. Yeah, on Saturday. So, so like it I said, I easily, right. it could have easily been, what is that? 42, 49, 56. It could have easily been a, a 56 to seven or a 56 to 14 kind of game right. against FAU. You're right. A team You're that right. is significantly better. You know what? But, you know what, Neil? I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I'll go with you. I, I know I know I, I I shouldn't be be bent by by your your recommendations, but you're you're fairly wise. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it down to fifty two to seven. Fifty two I mean, to seven. I mean, it's just because sixty two points means we're gonna play almost perfectly offensively. You're expecting yeah. significantly improved route running in one week. I'm just looking okay. for steps forward. I'll, I'll give like, you ten points. Fifty two to seven. How about okay. that? That'd be okay. my final pick. I, I think that's closer. Seven. I think that's closer. To what look, 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 look. Florida's going to win this game. It's not going to be close. The question is, does Florida put it away in the first half, or is it going to take a full 30 minutes for the talent disparity to take its toll and Florida to run away with it? Like, I'm, I'm seeing this as a game almost in a way like FAU where Florida goes up 28 nothing and then just stops caring. The difference is I don't think it's going to take them a full – three quarters to get that 28 nothing lead a full three quarters plus even to get that 20 nothing i think it's going to be 28 nothing late in the second quarter maybe around halftime or so and then because it's going to be so damn hot in tampa florida around you know 233 in the afternoon he's going to pull the starter slowly he's going to just try to run the clock out get out of there without any major injuries and just call it a day so if Florida, if this was a game that Florida had to score 70 points 
in order to make it to the CFP. Like, I understand that that doesn't work that way. But let's just say for argument's sake that Florida had to score 70 points to keep its season alive, they would. But they don't because this game doesn't mean anything to them aside from, you know, not losing it. So I don't, I don't see any more than 50. Uh, I'm going to say 42-17. You said 52 to seven. So basically I'm thinking it's going to be 20 points closer than you do, but we have the same number of points being scored in total. We both have 59 total points. So how's that? Yeah. So I guess, I guess uh, we're officially setting our over under at 59 for this game. I guess that does it for us. What a, what a great episode, Neil. It's always a pleasure being on with you. So Something we always like to say, if you've enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We would very much appreciate that. And of course, we thank you guys for listening, and we encourage y'all to stay safe, stay healthy, and go Gators! Oh, and one more thing! Gators, you know where you at. I don't care who we're playing. Let me say this. Beat them Bulls! I'm looking forward to doing the horns down. We owe them a little something, something after that disaster of an NCAA baseball regional. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward uh-huh. to a good beat down here. Yep. I'm going to be so happy sitting in Tampa, drinking my lemonade, seeing them gators beating up on them bulls. That'll do it here. The In All Kinds of Weather Forecast is proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding, which is a digital marketing firm that checks all the boxes. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, Here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it is a veteran-owned business. There is, in my opinion, no better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it is run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to StingrayBranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com.